Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests feature a pair of brothers who have been pursuing excellence in the world of golf, the Bryan Brothers. Our second guest is a minister at Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. He shares the story about how, when his son was diagnosed with autism, he trusted God's purpose for his life and was inspired to write a book about that journey called Champion. First up, the Bryan Brothers have made a name for themselves as professional golfers who also specialize in trick shots. Their trick shot videos have collectively garnered over 80 million views. Throughout their careers in golf, Wesley and George have stayed grounded in their faith, making time in their busy schedules for prayer and Bible study. They talk about how they got their start and what keeps them motivated to pursue their sport and their relationship with God. I'm Wesley Bryan, a professional golfer, grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, attended the University of South Carolina, and um, brothers to this guy right here. Yeah, and I'm George Bryan, uh, professional brother and professional golfer. Um, same as Wesley, grew up in Columbia, went to South Carolina, and uh, here we are. And I can't remember not having a golf club in my hand. And uh, so ever since we were probably three or four years old, grew up, went to the range with him where he taught, um, and we just kind of fell in love with the game and um, literally loved ever since. And we're highly competitive along yeah. the way. Yeah. We grew up in the Episcopal Church, and as a kid, sitting in those services, uh, my attention span was not the, the greatest. And I uh, went through the confirmation process. I would have told you that I was a Christian, but um, looking back in the, uh, once I started getting through high school, I realized that I wasn't saved. And, and that's when I realized I needed a relationship with Christ. I just knew who God was. I, I knew about him, but I didn't have a relationship. For me, it was just a lot of years, um, a lot of, or my high school years, just chasing the earthly pleasures. Um, it would be this girl, that girl, or it would be uh, this satisfaction or that one, whether I'm seeking it through golf or uh, through sports, whatever uh, outlet it was. And uh, one of my best buds in the whole world, Josh Twido, just kept pounding the gospel to me every single week, every single year. And uh, after enough of those seasons of Running from God, I realized that uh, in my senior year, uh, I started dating who is now my wife uh, in high school and, and realized at that point uh, I was tired of all those busted relationships and chasing the wrong things. And uh, with Josh's help, um, I gave my life to Jesus my senior year of high school and uh, been uh, following him ever since. I was more in college through my friends, Wesley, our roommate, Patrick Rada, and some like I'd go to FCA in college all, all four years, but never, um, still wasn't going to church really. Um, but like every time I went to the FCA, I would, you know, feel moved and like would love this um, little services that are, that um, Jack Easterby, who was the FCA leader at the time, led. And I was like, man, this is awesome. And so like it started, he planted that seed where like it took me probably until 2011. So like three or four years of going to FCA and like, friends like Wesley, or brothers Wesley, friends, just everyone like keep pounding the gospel, like, hey man, come to church with me. And then finally, 2011, I got saved at New Spring, um, got baptized about a year later, and that's probably when I started, that's when I finally like would consider myself like a Christian. Like I'd go to church, I would read, I would like try to grow spiritually and like grow cr closer to Jesus. And um, But yeah, there was no like one thing that was like, hey, I, I gotta get serious with my faith. It was just like, one step after the other, I knew what my next step was, but I just never wanted to take it until I, you know, finally, you know, got saved in 2011. That's where I kept, uh, I guess, constantly growing since then. That's seven, eight years ago. 
after college, it was a whole lot of success on the mini tours for me. Um, Same here. Yeah. No, um, played good in college, so I was like, okay, the next step is to turn pro. Turned pro in the summer of 2010, and honestly, three and a half years playing on the mini tours, minimal success at best. I had a couple of good finishes and a couple like three or four month stretches where I competed and played well, but overall, played good enough to lose all my money and my funding in about three and a half years. And um, didn't it just it didn't pan out like I like my senior year I was like okay I'm a turn pro maybe one year on the web.com tour then on the PGA tour like that's the trajectory that I'm beyond I know I can do that and it didn't happen like that and I was like man like what like dang it but at the same time like this golf golf's hard so three and a half years there and uh, I'm still chasing now I'm on the Latin America tour the PGA tour Canada I'm gonna do, be doing that this summer so I'm finally six or seven years in like finally starting to like uh, progress back up towards to where I know I can be. So the mini tour is basically a pay-for-play um, tour. Like everyone puts in X amount of dollars, and the winner's purse comes from that um, collective entry fees. And so like it's basically legalized gambling on yourself. You're putting up money, and everyone like if you play bad, then you're losing all the money you put in for that week. So I mean, if you have a bad four or five weeks in a row, I mean you could legitimately go broke because most of these tournaments are around a thousand dollars to play. And so like. It's, mm-hmm. If you don't play well, you're not getting a paycheck, which, I mean, same on the PJ Tour, but the entry fees, you don't have all these massive entry fees to pay. When people hear that you're a professional golfer, and George and I, we did this together for a few years uh, when I was right out of school as well, and people just all of a sudden assume the, the glamorous lifestyle that they think about when they think about professional athletes, but uh, at the end of the day, being a professional golfer is not very glamorous. Uh, until you make it on the PGA Tour, um, which at that point, it it definitely has its perks. But uh, my story, very similar to George's, um, had a decent college career, not as good as him, but uh, enough to warrant taking that next step into professional golf. And from there, I beat it around on the mini tours for about three years or so. Uh, And in the meantime, George and I, we started doing the trick shot thing, kind of put the playing on the back burner. Um, still continue to practice, but uh, chase that outlet just for a, a steady stream of income because um, you have to play really, really, really good just to break even on the mini tours. And you'll go out and you'll see, I bet 75% of mini tour professional golfers are showing a loss at the end of the year. Um, so that's just kind of the lifestyle that it is. So the way we got into YouTube was honestly just blind luck. Um, we saw two kids on Sports Center. I think they were number one play, and then maybe they had like a million views on YouTube. Anyway, they just did this little trick shot where one hit it to the other, and the guy hit it out of midair. And we're like, I mean, I feel like we can do that. It didn't. Know. It didn't look it extremely impressive. And we were just we're curious um, guys. We're competitive, so we're like, well, let's let's just see if we can do it. So we pulled it off kind of easily. And we're like, huh? Let's just make another. Let's just make some different variations of that and post it on the internet. And like all of our friends loved it, and we're like, I mean, is it really that cool though? And like everyone was like, man, you like this is awesome. Like, oh, looking I, back at it, it was really cheesy. It was, yeah, it was so bad. Like, it makes me cringe watching our first videos. Posted that on YouTube, and like it got like 500 views, which is like more than our friend groups. We're like, well, I mean, so so other people are watching this. Well, let's just make another one to see what happens. And that's the one that went kind of viral in, in the golf community and the sports like outlets online. You're like, dang, like. I don't know, like while people were watching us, let's make another one. And like it kept snowballing, so we'd put another video out and like more and more people would keep watching and like, like well, let's just keep doing this and see what happens. And it kind of one thing led to another and just 
yeah. started making money on it somehow. <laughs> we were like, this is awesome. But no, it was just something fun. Like like he said, we were doing the mini tours. It was not that fun and not glamorous. So we were like, anything to take your minds off of the grind is good. And this was kind of like an outlet that we were able to have fun and enjoy golf and just like take our mind away from like professional golf and mini tour life for a few minutes, a few hours, every other, every other week and just happened to get lucky. And so we chased uh, a little bit of steady income because um, I was married at the time. Uh, George was um, not far from married at the time. Not far from <laughs> married. Uh, so preparing for marriage. Yeah. And then uh, I made it through uh, qualifying school, which gets you on the web.com tour. And from there, um, in one year, I was able to get my PGA tour card. So uh, that was kind of the progression that I took. And now I'm in my second year on the PGA tour having him there and, and and him having me there like just going like mini tours is hard well golf is hard in general but playing mini tour golf is really hard um, on the finances mentally like everything it's just a it's just a grind it's grueling but um, having him having both of the both of us there to like compete with each other push each other practice with each other um, was huge and so like having someone where you can like relate to talk to and just like go through it together but you also respect that person um, outside of golf is huge. I would say the biggest benefit to me was uh, not the time that we had out there together on the mini tours, it was the time leading up my, my last two years of college where George's first two years of playing mini tour golf and so he was living in Columbia, I was living in Columbia except I was in school and I got to see kind of the process uh, that he was going through and um, was able to learn a lot about the the lifestyle and what it takes to succeed at that level even though it's a it's a lesser level than what we wanted to to be at uh, eventually but um, I learned a lot in those two years that prepared me when I turned pro out of school that uh, I just had a, a I felt like a little bit of an advantage on the the peers that were going through it for the first time without any uh, anybody to look up to or, or gauge off of. Wesley and Brian continue to grow in their careers and their faith. Wesley will be competing for the first time in the Masters Tournament, a prestigious national tournament held every April. They discuss the excitement around this first for the brothers and how their family is part of the celebration. I'm going to LA to play in a, a tournament and then back to uh, West Palm to play in a tournament and then I'll take a few weeks off and get ready for the Masters in April and uh, from there it just the schedule is, is subject to change because I, I set my schedule through the Masters and then once that comes and goes then I'll uh, take the next block of the season and, and sit down and figure out my schedule. I'm probably gonna geek out uh, the first few times out there on property so luckily that'll be like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then hopefully by Thursday I've settled down enough to where uh, I'm able to concentrate and go out and just do my everyday day job. And uh, But it's definitely one of those events that, that I've been looking forward to. I've, uh, since I won the, the Heritage last year, it was the week after the Masters, uh, and all PGA Tour winners get into the Masters. So I've, I literally have had, I'm going to have 51 weeks to get ready or look forward to it. <laughs> Uh, so there's no one that's been uh, anticipating it more than I have. Actually, that's false because I know someone who is, and it's probably and it's her mom. Oh yeah, well you're right. And she made the best sandwiches um, and brought the best cooler to all of our golf tournaments. Yep. Like she was a snack lady. It was awesome, and, and I think she probably still does that today. T to this day yep. on the PJ Tour, brings peanut butter jelly she sandwiches does. for Wesley and anything else he needs. 
most of us work seven days a week, um, at, at very least six days a week. Uh, start when the sun comes up, whether it's your, um, between your physical training, uh, your practice, your recovery, um, everything that you do to your body, put in your body. So that, that's basically considered working because you have to take care of uh, every part of your body. And it, it starts when the sun comes up and ends when the sun goes down. And it's, it's an all day, every day thing. And um, like I said, uh, the biggest struggle for me over the past couple of years is um, finding ways to honor the Sabbath. And, and if I can get to the point where I can, that can take one day off and completely shut it down and rest, then I feel like that's uh, a step in the right direction, but not, not quite there yet. You'll get there. It took me, so I, I was, I'm in that same boat with um, the Sabbath. Like growing up, I, I was one of those people that like, if you took a day off, like I would freak out and I'm like, man, I just took a day off. Yeah, like, someone's passing you. Someone's getting better. Well, not even that. I was like, I'm going to forget how to play golf in oh. that, that one day. And it took me like going to church and learning more like what the Sabbath meant. And like, I'd say two years ago was finally when I was able to get over that home. Because Sundays, um, my wife works at the church. So basically I'd, I'm an extension of I work at the church now too, so Sundays I have, I'm, I'm beat, so I really don't want to practice. And like, it's good that I can just like be at ease on Sunday, go to put the work in at the church, but then after that just relax and like just have a good solid day off. But it took me till I was 28 to like really grasp that and like really like okay, just take a day off, you're fine. Like it's in it's in the Bible, like you just honor this, and you're not going to forget how to play golf. Um, just 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 let it go. And um, age 28 or 29, I was finally able to like take that Sabbath. My normal work week is um, Tuesday's a practice round day, uh, Wednesday's pro-am day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday are competition days, and then if you can fly out Sunday night that's great, it's easier to take Monday off, but usually Monday's a travel day, so it's um, it's around the clock, you are constantly going, you're in a different city, you've, I mean, Honestly, the easiest way to adjust to the time change or the different country you're in is making sure you get in the gym and are eating healthy meals. And like, like I said, all that's still considered work for mm -hmm. what we're doing. And it's, it's tough to find the time just to, just to completely unplug, turn the phone off and, and go, go away for a day. Um, but like I said, we're getting there. Uh, it's, it's been a fun journey, but um, it's definitely not over yet. Yeah, it's definitely difficult. I mean, it's harder than I thought it would be just because, like, you're in a foreign... Like, for me, so I played the Latin America tour last year. So I was in, I think, probably 15 countries, or 13 countries between in Central and South America uh, last year. And so constantly flying from one country to another, one continent to the other. So, like, you have this roommate that you're on different schedules and you're trying to, like... Sometimes they're Christians, sometimes they're not. And so, like, trying to read while... I don't know, it was, it was a lot tougher to juggle, So, but it was something that you'd have to find time to do, and whether it be just pull up the Bible app and kind of go out outside in the hallway for a few minutes and just get in a little bit, but it's definitely a struggle. Because, um, I mean, like I said, you're, fly, you're flying into a country, get there, go to the golf course, back to the hotel, sleep for a few hours, and get up and go the next day. So, like, trying to, like, be intentional with that is definitely something I struggle with, but I feel like I've made steps um, this past year where we're making it more of a commitment. Yeah, I feel like... Um when I'm traveling, it's easier for me to get in the word. Uh, when I'm in a different place, it, it costs me five or six dollars to, um, to do it every single day, but um, it's time that I look forward to uh, getting in the word with the Lord um, at either a Dunkin' or a Starbucks. 
So uh, I go and I get a, a, a nice little latte and I sit down for 20 to 30 minutes every single day. And uh, if I have an extremely early tea time, then I pick up the coffee and take it to the golf course and I, I get in the word a little bit before, but usually um, it's before my day gets started, finding the time to spend with the Lord every single day and uh, continue to grow and mature in your faith is the number one objective apart from um, any success I can have on or off the golf course, anything uh, that I prior prioritize with my wife. Um, that stuff is not as important in the end as uh, the relationship with Jesus. So uh, I make sure to, to try and uh, make that a, a part of my day every single day. My first experience with Jesus Calling, I think Mom... Mom, mom got us all the Jesus Calling daily devotional and, uh, that for was Christmas, like, that was like a while. I was like four or five years ago, maybe. And honestly, mm -hmm. I probably put that on the shelf and never never read it at the time. I know she did. And then it wasn't until recently, um, maybe the past year, um, I started reading it a little more. It's just right before quiet time, just kind of get read the, the devotional. And it's, it's a good, like, refresher. It's like a good... It gets you in a good place mentally. Um before you start the Word, and then you have a couple of the scriptures in there that kind of like, just kind of kickstarts my reading. Um, and it's a good, definitely good, um, something that goes along with the Bible. Like I said, our mom got us the, the devotional probably five or six years ago, uh, at Christmas one year, I think. And the perspective that it gives, um, as far as it, it really does feel like God is speaking into you every single day. Um, yes, you get in the Word, but as far as getting that, uh, first person reference point um, that's uh, something that's supplementing the word uh, it definitely is is a very encouraging tool once I got saved it was probably like two or three years after that where I was like um, there was finally something worth ch like chasing and going after like yeah I want to be on the PJ tour and that's what I like was one of my idols was like golf and like I, want, I put my um, value in how good I played on the golf course and like if I played bad I'm like man everyone hates me I'm such an idiot I'm a failure and um, so I had this up and down like if I played good I was great um, but like after you know getting saved and like really following Jesus closer like knowing that like golf and money and all this earthly stuff it doesn't really matter um, once you put that in perspective it, it really helped me like be a better human and like be more level, um, not get wrapped up in results, and um, just chasing after him and like trying to grow with him has really helped me on the course and off. Like, just if I have a bad day, it's not the end of the world. I still have um, Jesus to the, you know, die for our sins. That like that's the ultimate goal is to you know chase him and pursue him as best as we can. Yeah, and for me, obviously Jesus is still working on my heart, but um, I I know when I was uh, less mature, uh, I would be really, really good at holding grudges, really, really good at lashing out. And um, the Lord's definitely softened my heart in that aspect. And, and like I've said, he's still, he's still working on me. But um, going back and, and looking throughout the years, uh, there's definitely a lot of work that he's done in my heart and hopefully he continues to do it. And uh, those are just two areas that I've, I've noticed uh, the biggest change in me. Look for Wesley Bryan on the Masters Tournament, which wraps up this weekend, April 8th. Additionally, to learn more about the Bryan Brothers, visit bryanbrothersgolf.com. Next up on the podcast, we speak to Craig Johnson from Lakewood Church after this message about a free offer from Jesus Calling. 
Are you looking for a way to keep track of your daily prayers along with Jesus Calling? The Jesus Calling Family Prayer Calendar goes right along with your daily readings from Jesus Calling. Each day begins with a guided reflection, followed by a space for you to fill in your prayers of thanksgiving and special requests. You can get your free Jesus Calling Family Prayer Calendar by visiting jesuscalling.com offers. Visit jesuscalling.com offers to download your free family prayer calendar today. Our next guest is Craig Johnson, a minister from Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. Craig and his wife were raising their family, including their youngest son, Connor. A bright and inquisitive child at two years old, something changed when Connor stopped speaking. He was no longer the cheerful, engaged little boy they knew. After numerous doctor's visits, the Johnsons finally got the news that would change their lives forever. Craig talks about the painful reality of moving forward from that moment and how God ultimately worked a miracle in all of their lives. Hi, my name is Craig Johnson, and I'm one of the pastors at Lakewood Church. And uh, I've, uh, I have a beautiful wife, been married 28 years to my wife, Samantha, and we have three children, uh, Corey, Courtney, and Connor. So I have 28 ministers in my family. <laughs> so there's a great heritage there, you know, uh, as far as ministry is concerned with my family. And uh, many of my cousins uh, pastor churches or lead organizations across the country. So. Uh, that's not the reason why I went into the ministry, but I just had such a rich heritage. But uh, God probably really called me um, when I was probably about 20 years old. And I ran from the calling for a little bit, for a couple years, but um, uh, God just shifted that and, and turned that around. I was actually a children and family pastor um, at a church in Southern California at Faith Community Church. And uh, I just got called by someone uh, one day and they said uh, that I've been recommended uh, for uh, this um, large church in, in Houston and would I be interested in everything. And I'd only been at our church for about three years and couldn't fathom going from California <laughs> to Texas. I actually told them no and I said, you know, I, I just don't feel like uh, we're supposed to leave here and we've only been here three years. and. I went home and I told my wife about it, and uh, and my wife, who you know, she, she's one of those people that that won't she won't say a lot, but when she says something, you need to really listen. We went online to look at Lakewood Church, and she said, "Craig, I don't know, maybe you need to check this out." And I just said, "Really?" I said, "We're so happy here." And she goes, "I don't know what what God's saying, but maybe you need to check it out." And I kind of laid out a fleece. <laughs> And I said, well, listen, if this, I told this guy no today. If, if he calls back at everything for whatever reason, uh, the, then, then let's pursue it. And she said, okay. And uh, the very next day he called back and he said, I know you told me no, but I just want to call back and just see if you still might be interested. And uh, that kind of started us on our journey to going to Lakewood Church. My wife's like that, you know, she, she's, a, she's a real prayer warrior, just intercedes, you know, one of those intercessor uh, type of, of women. And so, you know, you I, she's my hero, so I really listen to her when she, when she talks to me. And, and uh, little do we know what we were gonna experience. So when we got to Houston, it was, uh, it was a really busy time. So, so they were saying, and this is one of the reasons why uh, uh, Pastor Joel brought us to Houston to go into the to the uh, compact center, the new arena, 
it was a crazy time. And then about six months into it, into us being there, uh, where my my son would talk to us and and uh, would would interact with us, and he would give us a hug and and he would say, "I love you." He would play with other friends. Uh, pretty quickly, uh, that that just shifted. And so where he was playing with, with other playmates, now he would go and sit by himself and stare off at the wall where he would uh, give us a hug and a kiss. Uh, now he would uh, look away from us and uh, he would show very little emotion uh, where he'd say, mommy and daddy, I love you. Uh, now he, he stopped talking altogether. And so the only way I could describe it was like a, a bad car wreck where where one day your your child's one way and, and another day he's different. And so we were experiencing a storm in our ministry life just because of the busyness and a storm in our personal life. And it, it really became the perfect storm all at one time. Craig and his wife visited numerous doctors and no one seemed to have the answers to why their bright and bubbly son had become silent. Finally, they received a diagnosis, autism. Craig goes on to talk about what happened next. The first thoughts go to, that go, come to your mind is, how are we going to respond? You know, because we know there's, there's a huge problem. So when my wife called me with the diagnosis and everything, that we, he, he had been diagnosed at Texas Children's, and when she called me with the diagnosis, um, I'll never forget that day because I was driving home from work and I could just hear at that time the enemy just speaking, you know, into my ear, you know, words like your, your, your child will never be like your other children. Uh, he'll never do anything uh, in life. Uh, you're going to have to take care of him the rest of your life. Uh, he, he, will, he will be not worth anything. And I just heard these voices just going on and on. And I'll never forget, you know, I hit the gas in my car and I drove home and I went up, got into the driveway and I ran upstairs. And this is just from, from us being at Lakewood, but I just picked up my son and I just said, you're more than a conqueror. I said, I said, you're gonna do great things. I said, I said, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I said, you're a victor, you're not a victim. And I just held him on my arms and I remember, you know, that moment right there that, that we knew what we were facing, but we knew that God was gonna help us, that he was gonna guide us, he was gonna direct us. And we didn't really know a lot about autism at that time, you know. Um, at our last church we had, uh, a small special needs program, and uh, autism was rising, you know. It was rising uh, when, when we found out about Connor, and since the early 80s, um, it's, it's grown, whether it's being diagnosed better or just a rise of over 300%. So, so you're seeing now millions of kids uh, with autism. It's, a, it's the fastest uh, developmental uh, disability in the world now. And so we didn't know a lot about it, but what we soon found out was, was really what a lot of parents are facing. For instance, you know, um, a lot of these parents, there's still a lot of stigma centered around special needs uh, today. It, and you wouldn't think that, but there are. And so 
these families face a lot of rejection, you know. I've been in a restaurant, we've been there with our son and everything, and you know, he, he, he would get excited, what was called stimming, you know, overstimulation, and, and we've seen waitresses look, come to the table and literally turn back around and never take our order, and people ask us to leave, and you know, different things like that. So families will, will experience a, a lot of rejection in different ways. Then, then with schooling, um, that, that's one of the most difficult things for, for families with special needs is the fact that schools will tell you they're failing in two areas, at-risk kids and special needs. And the reason why they're failing with special needs is because there's too many now. You look at the church, and if the average church is 100 people, I would estimate, I don't have, I don't have uh, real statistics on it, but I would estimate 99% of churches in America don't have anything for special needs. Yet there are now millions of families like mine uh, that are facing it. So families like mine, what we're looking for, Laura, is we're looking for hope every week. We know what we're dealing with. We know what we're facing, so we're looking for hope. And when you can't go to a church, what they become is they become shut in. And we, I can't tell you how many families have been told that their child can't come back to church. And it's not because we love the church. The church is outstanding, but, but the church has not adjusted to working with these families, and now there are millions of them. When Connor got to be about five years old, the, the meltdowns, the, the struggles uh, just got to be overwhelming. I remember my wife who, like I said, she's my hero. She's so strong. And I remember one day after Connor had a terrible meltdown, she just said, Craig, I'm not sure if I can take it anymore. And I know she was just speaking off emotion and everything. So, so, but I remember driving to work one day and it was probably the most intimate conversation I've ever had with God. And, and if somebody drove by us, you know, they would have thought it was just crazy because I was literally talking to the person in the next seat to me. And I just asked God why? Not why we had our son, because we loved our son, but why is he struggling so much? And I'll never forget what God spoke to me. And it wasn't audible, but, but it felt like it was audible. And he just said, Craig, your child is not a burden. Your child is a gift. And I said, God, I, I know what you mean. We, we, Sam and I, we love our child. And he said to me again, he said, no, Craig, your child is not a burden. Your child is a gift. He said, you're looking at everything that's wrong with him. You're not looking at everything that's right. I said, God, what, what are you saying? And he said, I'm gonna use your son to reach millions of people. Now, I gotta be honest with you. At that time, me and my wife were so vulnerable, I couldn't see it. And I actually picked up a bottle of water in my car and I just said, I just said, God, how's my son gonna reach millions of people? He can't even ask for a drink of water. I'll never forget what God spoke to me at that point, you know. He just said four words, and these are the four words God will speak to you whenever you're in the desert, whenever you're going through a difficult time. He, he, he'll speak these four words, and he just said, do you trust me? And I, I, I just told him, you know, I didn't give him the pastoral answer. I just said, God, you're all we've got. I said, physically, there is no cure for autism unless you heal my son, so you're all we've got, but we trust you. And I remember that conversation because that's kind of, that, that is kind of what started it all. And I, after I had the conversation, I thought everything was gonna get better, but it gets worse. The meltdowns get worse, the struggle gets worse. 
until about three months into it, Laura, my wife calls me from upstairs. She said, Craig, Craig, get up here, get up here. And I thought something was a matter. I didn't know what was going on. I run upstairs, she's crying. I said, I said, what is it? And she said, Craig, I was putting Karn to bed. I was reading him a couple of books. She said, I was praying over him, and all of a sudden he began to speak, and he began to say one word after another word, one sentence after another sentence. And you gotta understand at this time, you know, I mean, I haven't heard my son put together more than two words in three years. And I said, what do you mean he began to speak? And she said, he began to speak. And I said, what do he say? And tears were rolling down my cheeks, and she walked us over to his bed, and she leaned over the bed, and she said, Connor, say it for mommy and daddy. Say it again. And my little five-year-old boy looked up and all of a sudden he began to speak and he said, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name, and that was my son's first words. They spoke at five years old. What we found out was we bring the DVD ho DVDs home of the messages that Joel would speak. Little did we know, Connor was taking the DVDs, putting them in his DVD player, and you know that what Connor said was a declaration that, that Joel says at the beginning of every message, and it didn't matter if the message changed, that declaration would always be at the front. And so that's what went over in his mind. And that became the first words he spoke. The fact that he spoke that declaration, we knew that was God. And that was kind of the beginning, you know, of when we were going to begin to not just look at our situation, but, get, but begin to reach out to others. And that was kind of uh, the birthing of Champions Club. After he spoke that declaration, I went and spoke on a Wednesday night at Lakewood Church and uh, I spoke about the God, the breakthrough, and I, I show Connor saying, we filmed him saying, this is my Bible for the first time and our church had been walking through it and Pastor Joel was there that day and he's just weeping. He walks up to me afterwards and he says, Craig, he said, that, that is amazing, you know, that Connor would speak, you know, that declaration. And he said, can I speak about that in a message? I said, absolutely, and so about eight million at that time, you know, a, a, a week we're watching Pastor Joel, whether through it was a, a podcast or, or his, his, you know, his television broadcasts, and when he spoke about Connor and showed that video, that, vid that video went viral around the world, and people started sending us messages about how Connor inspired them, how, how, how they had a special needs child, how they were going through a challenge that was overwhelming, and how, how our son touched them. And little did I know, you know, when God spoke to me in the car, you know, about four months before, <laughs> what, that it would actually come to pass that millions of people would hear uh, Connor's testimony. And so, so after that, I, I had a second conversation with God. Uh, kind of intimate conversation with God and I was walking through Lakewood Church and I'll never forget this one too and God just stopped me in front of the children's area and God just spoke to me and said, Craig, look at what you're doing for typical kids. He says, it looks like Disneyland. He said, but look at what you're doing for special needs kids. 
And we were like a lot of other churches, even though we were a large church, we weren't doing a lot. And God just spoke to me and said, Craig, those kids deserve the very best, just like every other child. And he said, when you look in these kids' eyes, he says, what you're looking at, who you're looking at is you're looking at me. Because when you do it in the least of these, you do it unto me. And he says, I'm not going to let society and the church forget them anymore. We didn't know what to do, so, you know, I was still, we were still walking through with our child, but I knew how to put together a team. And so I went down the University of Texas Medical Center, found some of the top uh, researchers. There were two doctors that were doing some of the top research on autism and special needs. I went down to uh, two of the, the most prominent special needs schools and asked a couple educators to be a part of this task force. And then I found uh, the most important special needs moms and dads who were walking through it. And for an entire year, we worked on what would become the Champions Club. It's a holistic approach, mind, body, soul, and spirit. And so there's a physical therapy room or station, there's a sensory station, there's an education station, and there's a spirit station. And the kids would rotate in between these four stations and be developed just like any other typical kid where they grow and develop. And when we launched at Lakewood Church, we had no idea what the response would be, but in the first six months, over 300 families came out to experience the Champions Club, and it blew our mind. It was our largest growth spurt outside of moving from the one building to the next building that Lakewood Church had ever had, and it was because we reached out to those kids and families. And so as we walked through what the Champions Club would look like and how it would develop, we had two thoughts in mind. One is, and I told them this, I said, this program has to be so good that we never turn away any family, no matter how severe their child is. And the reason why that's important is because these families face so much rejection. So what you have in between in the Champions Club, you have equipment that works with the kids, you have training, and then uh, we started out, we adapted a curriculum, and so it was just God. I mean, we, I can't explain it, but when putting that piece in there, uh, you'll see kids learn scripture memorization. They're learning Bible stories. They're learning uh, how to respond to God and how God loves them and cares about them. And so they're getting fully developed holistically and that was really from that task force. And then more people started coming in because you gotta realize there was nothing like this in Houston. Really, there wasn't anything like this in America and definitely in the world, you know, because now there are 60 Champions Clubs around the world. There's one on every continent except Antarctica. And these kids have gifts, they have talents. Is it harder to bring those talents out with those kids? Yes, we gotta work a little bit harder to bring those out, but make no mistake, if we'll bring them out, they can change the world. Connor's been written about in five books now, and we, we just, we, we signed a contract last year with Pure Flix to do uh, a movie based on, on this book, Champion, and, and uh, you know, Connor just continues to be a joy and, and inspire people, encourage people, and we just couldn't be prouder of him. Champion is really a book that, that is not only for special needs parents, although they're gonna to relate to our story, it's for anybody that's facing uh, overwhelming situation or challenge in their life, or just trying 
to learn how to respond to challenges that you face in your life. And it tells the story, you know, little did we know when we got Connor's diagnosis, little did we know that even our worst day, we might become someone else's best hope. And that God wants to use any situation, any trial, any struggle that you go through, and he wants to use that for his glory and to impact other people. And we could never help people with challenges today. And, and the thing of it is, people are facing so such serious issues in their life. If you look at our world today, they're facing whether it's financial, whether it's relationships, whether it's illness, whether it's families with special needs or medically fragile families, they're facing overwhelming circumstances. And so Champion really tells our story of how, where we started and how God turned that around to help and reach millions of people that were struggling in different ways like we were. Like for instance, there's a chance there's a chapter in there called Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, that when we can't stun on our own, God will give us giants, shoulders to stand on, and he'll bring those people onto our life to help catapult us into our destiny. Or, or you know, there, there's a chapter in there called Bend Don't Break, where, where how many times have we been bent by a circumstance, but we've gotta be like a palm tree that pops back up, that, that we bend, but we don't break. And that's because we're trusting God. We're, we're sitting at his feet. We're, 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 we're speaking his word into our lives. And God's, even though we bend, we're not gonna break and we're gonna be able to stand strong and stay planted. And so all those things that we experience, we walk through and how God really taught us how to speak in to those experiences, that could be for everyone. And for a special needs family, it, it, it's gonna be like a cool cup of water in the desert. It's gonna really, they're gonna be able to relate to it and know, man, if they can get through it, I can get through it. It was about eight years ago, uh, my wife was actually reading the, the Jesus Calling devotional and uh, me and my wife just went through a really difficult time, you know, with Connor and, and, and we, we were just going through so many uh, uh, challenges and stuff like that. And uh, God just really worked with me on taking my devotional life and me and my wife taking our devotional life to another level. Because I, I really believe, you know, when you're trying to break through a barrier, when you're trying to, to, to break through that ceiling that's, that's kept you down, there's, there's nothing more important that you can do than sit at Jesus' feet. Because that's where I believe you get God ideas. That's where I believe that God shows you how. He, he's that key. When you sit at Jesus' feet, that's where you get those God ideas. That's where you get those times that, that are just so deep and so strong. And I remember Jesus calling being one of those devotionals. And I loved it because it was, it was speaking through the word of God because the word of God is so powerful, but it was speaking through the word of God like Jesus would speak to us. And so that culmination was so powerful. And I remember when I would do these devotionals and, and the Jesus calling devotional, I would get promises. It was exactly what I needed for that day. And what I would do is I'd grab a hold of that while I was going through the difficult time, and then I would write that down as a promise and put the date beside it. Beside it. And even today, I've been doing this now for eight years, and even today, I go back to those promises. 
and I hold on to them. <laughs> and when I'm going through a difficult time, I know that if God brought me you know, through it back then, he'll bring, bring us through it again. Because here's the deal, we're, even though Connor's had all these miracles and all these things have happened through, through our story and everything, uh, we still deal with it 24 seven, we're still walking through it. So my time with Jesus is the most important time that I have every day and I cherish it with every part of my being. I think if I could speak, you know, to those facing a challenge right now in their life, a, a major challenge in their life, I, I would just say this. When you're going through a storm, the best thing you can do when you're going through a storm is be good to someone else. Because it's kind of like, and I heard our pastor share this example one time, it's kind of like an eagle. When an eagle is in, the middle of a storm and the wind and rain are hitting it, the eagle doesn't stay in the storm. What the eagle does is it spreads its wings as wide as it can. And all of a sudden what happens is the wind begins to lift the eagle up out of that storm into where it's peaceful and beautiful into that eye. And when you're going through a storm, when you're good to someone else, you're like that eagle spreading its wings. And you're gonna not only rise above your storm, but you're gonna get a different perspective on your storm. And see, that's what Sam and I did. When we were facing the most overwhelming odds, we began to be good to someone else and help someone else. And what it helped us do, it helped us get a different perspective on our storm. It didn't seem as bad as it once was. And we found out that when we reached out to other people, they began to help us. So be like an eagle, spread your wings, Help someone else, even when you're going through a storm, and watch God take you higher. To find out more about Craig's book, Champion, how one boy's miraculous journey through autism is changing the world, and to learn about Champions Club, visit championsclub.org. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we visit with Michael Chandler, an American mixed martial artist who competes in the lightweight division. Michael talks with us about the ups and downs of his sport and how his faith in God keeps him strong. I can't tell you how many, how many messages I get, how many people come up to me face to face, how many people I meet that say, man, I love the way you carry yourself. I love that you are a, a warrior and a fighter and you're a, a savage in the cage, but you're also a man of faith and you're also a, a, a devoted husband and a de devoted father. So if, we can be, if I can be a husband and a father and a Christian man and have a platform to be able to reach people, and then also take that platform and use it inside of a cage in front of millions of people and see how the ups and downs and the, the wins and the losses and the pain and the anguish and the triumph of this crazy MMA career can reach people. I mean, what, what an awesome scenario and, and, and what, a great, what a great way to, to live out my testimony and have a platform. Do you love hearing great stories of faith each week via the Jesus Calling podcast? We want to hear from you. If you haven't already subscribed to the Jesus Calling podcast, visit the Jesus Calling page at iTunes.com and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, we'd love for you to leave us a review and tell us how you feel about the show and what future guests you'd love to see. Your reviews and subscription help us share these stories of faith to more people who need the hope and encouragement of Jesus Calling. If you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.